0: You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Well, good morning, Palm Vista. Good morning. It's an incredible privilege to be here this morning. Melinda is very, very jealous because there is a... Apparently this morning I heard there was snow and some ice, and it's in the 20s. So... I didn't tell her about the beach trip I took yesterday. (laughs) I don't think that would bless her. Well, I just, before I get started, I just want to communicate to you from Melinda, from the kids, uh, from myself, how much we love you. Uh, It's just an unbelievable privilege to be here, to see your faces, to hug so many necks. Um, Gosh, we love you guys. (laughs) And uh, I know I see a lot of new faces, as well. Um, I'll hug you, too. It'd be an honor. (laughs) But uh, I I come bearing lots of love, lots of hugs and kisses from Melinda and the kids. She wishes she could be here. We hope to be back again in a few months with everybody to see you. Um, But thank you. Um, Thank you so much for the privilege that it is that we get to study in Kentucky. Um, And don't take that for granted. I am in the middle of classes right now, and it is just an incredible opportunity. I'm learning a lot. Uh, I am growing a lot. We're growing a lot as a family, and um, this has been just one of the greatest experiences of our life, but we can't wait to get home. Um, So thank you for making that possible, for everyone who's supported us, who's praying for us, who's still now supporting us. um, Thank you. Uh, One other thing I just want to mention, as I've just been reflecting on coming back, Guys, uh, being in Kentucky and having some experience just getting out of the church um, has given me a little bit of perspective. And let me just tell you, you guys have an amazing community here at Palm Vista, um, and you have amazing pastors. Uh, you can clap for that. These men, these men are true shepherds. Um, they're not just preachers. They're not just CEOs of a church. They are shepherds who love you, who care about you, who pray for you, um, who carry you on their hearts daily. And I've seen these men in private. I've seen these men behind closed doors, and they are what you see. Um, They are true shepherds who love you. You guys are being well-fed by thick, medium sermons that have the Scripture at their core, and you have pastors who love and care for you in Christ. And so um, you should be grateful for that. And it is just, I've just grown in my Um, appreciation for them and for what what we have here at Palm Vista during my time away. So we love you. I'm glad to be back. And I should probably start preaching before I start crying. So, um, turn with me, if you would, this morning to Philippians chapter 1. are preaching this morning from Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18. The title of our sermon this morning is, Look Up! Look Up! From Philippians 1, 12 to To 18, and we'll be learning together from Paul, really from God through Paul, what it means to set your eyes on Christ proclaimed. To set your eyes on Christ proclaimed. Uh, One of the first things you learn when mountain biking, which I used to do in here in Miami, I'm not sure, it makes a little bit of sense, but we don't have mountains here. But mountain biking is a big thing here. You go to Markham Park, and it's really obstacle course biking. One of the first things you learn when you're mountain biking is that where you set your eyes is where your bike will go. Um, So there are a lot of obstacles in mountain biking. And if you're coming up on a route, or they have these little um, wooden paths you go on, and either side is a deep chasm of death, If you set your eyes down on the chasm, your bike will go to the chasm. No matter how hard you try, you're going to end up with your face in the dirt, which I have done many times. Um, But if you set your eyes down the path to where you're going, inevitably your bike will follow. And so it's a learned skill, and you learn to, to keep your obstacles in the peripheral and set your eyes down the path to the direction you want to go, and that is where your bike will go. And this morning... Paul is teaching us and showing us and really setting an example for us of what it looks like to look down the path to Christ proclaimed, to set our eyes on Christ proclaimed in the midst of our circumstances. Keep our obstacles in the peripheral, not forget about them, but to look behind and beyond the circumstances to what God is doing in and through them and what the goal and purpose of them is. It's not natural, um, but it's learning to rejoice in something that this world can't touch, something that's beyond the immediate circumstances of our lives and the things that surround us. And having this perspective, church, as we learn, this perspective gives us hope. It can allow us to rejoice in the midst of circumstances, even difficult ones, even confusing circumstances, which I'm sure many of you find yourselves in this morning. And so let's look together at Philippians 1, 12 to 18, and let's learn what it means to set our eyes On Christ proclaimed. So turn with me, Philippians 1, 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known through the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Pray with me. Lord, I ask this morning that you would be proclaimed. All of this is about you. All of scripture is about you, Jesus. All of our lives is about you, and all of it is for you. God, I'm inadequate this morning to embody this message that you have for your people, Lord. But I pray that you would, you would communicate your word to your people. Thank you that you are sufficient for us in our circumstances. You would help us learn to look beyond them to you, Lord. And this morning, you would open our eyes and our ears to hear your word proclaimed and to respond and to obey and to trust in you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we, as we look at this passage today, uh, one thing that becomes very quickly apparent to us is that Paul is very, very concerned about the proclamation of Jesus Christ. We know that just by looking at the words he uses here in this passage. Um, look with me in verse 12, uh, he starts off, what's happened to me has really served to do what? To advance the gospel. He continues on, it's been known, what has been known? That my imprisonment... Is for Christ. And the brothers becoming confident, what? To speak the word without fear. Fifteen, some preach Christ. Sixteen, the latter do it. Do what? They preach Christ. Verse 17, the former, what do they do? They proclaim Christ. And verse 18, Christ is proclaimed. Again and again and again, Paul is pointing to something. He's saying, Christ proclaimed, Christ proclaimed. The advance of the gospel, Jesus Christ proclaimed it 's what paul 's focus it 's what his ambition is this morning in this passage is that Christ would be proclaimed it 's where he 's setting his eyes this morning that the wheels of his life are navigating around and over the circumstances towards this this ambition of Christ proclaimed so I think it 's important this morning as we start examining this passage we define together we make sure we all understand what he means by christ proclaimed Paul has something particular in mind when he says Christ proclaimed, Paul is referring to this this Jesus, this Messiah that's been prophesied from the very beginning of time all the way through Adam and Eve, through the patriarchs and the prophets, that there would be this one who would come, this Christ, this Messiah, this Jesus, who would rescue his people. And he would bring salvation to the Jews. He would bring salvation to the whole world, to the Gentiles as well. And this Jesus, this Christ is the Jesus that Paul is proclaiming? It is imprisonment. It's the it's the message of this Jesus that's being spread through the through the guards at Rome, through the temples, or through the um, through all of Caesar's palace, and through all the brothers in Rome. This is the Jesus. This is the Christ. This promised one who was born to a Jewish family, raised in a Jewish home, died on a cross and bled for sinners, so that Jews and Gentiles might receive him and have eternal life. This Jesus is what Christ is. What Paul is proclaiming this morning. It's the spread of this good news that he's fixed his eyes on. He's fixed his eyes on it in the midst of his circumstances. And so this morning, Paul is is teaching us by example what it looks like to proclaim this Christ, to focus on proclaiming this Christ. He's going to give us really two examples, and in those two examples, two reasons that we should focus our eyes on Christ proclaimed. The first one we find in verses 12 to 14 is that it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Look with me in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, we got a letter recently, just this past week, from the Ellswick's, which I'm sure a lot of you guys know the Ellswick's. They're a missionary family. They've got four beautiful young girls, and uh, they were in Nicaragua and now are repositioning to Panama because of some of the civilian unrest. unrest. And uh, we got this letter from these missionaries. And there's an expectation you have when you get letters from missionaries. There's kind of a formula that you expect certain things to be in the letter, right? An update on the kids, on the family, maybe a little anecdote about life and how things are going. Update on the mission, what God is accomplishing through the work that they're doing. Um, Perhaps some prayer requests you expect to know. How can we be praying for you? Some ways we can support you financially. Um, And then a closing uh, vision of Christ and what he's doing in the mission. You have this this something of a formula. You expect certain things from a letter. And here Paul, as he's really beginning this letter, he's opened up with um, saying who he's writing to. He's prayed for the Philippians. And now he's really getting into the meat of it. And he begins with this formulaic statement that the Philippians are expecting to end a certain way. So when he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, they have a certain expectation for how that sentence is going to finish. And what they're expecting him to say is that what has happened to me is, and then he's going to continue to expand on his circumstances. So what's happened to me is, the food here is terrible. Well, maybe not that. What's happened to me is, I was shipwrecked and imprisoned and, What's happened to me is I haven't been feeling so great, but, you know, God has provided. What's happened to me is, uh, you know, my roommate is, I've got a new roommate, or this guard is is giving me trouble, or or there's an arraignment on Thursday, and there's some paperwork we got to get finished. What happened to me is, and then expand on his circumstances. But notice here, that's not what Paul does at all. It's quite surprising. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that's what happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel has really served to advance the gospel. Paul said, I want you to know that's what happened to me is not about me at all. <laughs> he turns their eyes, he flips their expectations and says, all of this, being chained, being in prison, being restricted to, uh, to, to my circumstances, not being able to go out in the streets and proclaim, not being able to travel freely, has actually been about Christ. It's actually served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's subverting their expectations and saying something very different is happening than what you might expect. And then he goes on to explain how it is that his imprisonment, that his circumstances, that what's happened to him is advancing the gospel here in verse 13. So he says, I want you to know what's happened to me is served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. My imprisonment is for Christ. So what he's describing here, God has used his circumstances in a very unconventional way, an unexpected way. Paul here is being guarded, he says, throughout the whole imperial guard, by these imperial guard, These would be like the SEAL Team 6 of the Roman military. So here's Paul in his toga and chancletas, uh, hanging out with these military guys, surrounded by these hardened military uh, veterans. You can imagine they're making their jokes, and he's not really sure when to laugh and when not to. Paul here is is, is surrounded by these guys and looking at this circumstance where he's locked up, not where he wants to be. This isn't how he expected to get to Rome. He thought he'd be going as a free man to be able to preach the gospel, and he's here in chains and surrounded by these these hardened, battle hardened uh, Roman guards. and, And he's seeing them not with the eyes of the world, but seeing them with the eyes of Christ. And he's saying, These obstacles, they're not actually about me, they're about Christ. And here Paul is, is pictured almost like a, like a mole that God has inserted into the organization in Rome. He's inserted them right in the middle. And there's this ripple effect that begins to happen as the gospel goes from Paul to these Roman guards, this imperial guard, out to the rest of the Colosseum. Look, he says, and most of the brothers, I'm sorry, he says, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. So it's going out throughout all Caesar's people, all the palace. And then onward, out to verse 14, most of the brothers... So now the rest of the city, those brothers in Christ, are, are continuing to advance this gospel in this unconventional manner. So the brothers have become confident in the Lord by his imprisonment. Not in spite of his imprisonment, but by, through Paul's imprisonment, through the very thing that you might expect would limit his effectiveness in the gospel, has been the means that God has used to advance his gospel. Isn't that like our God? The very thing that was supposed to stop him, that was supposed to confine him, was supposed to restrict him from being effective, has actually been the means God uses to bring his gospel forth. And so he says, most of the brothers becoming confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I mean, guys, this is just the way God works, isn't it? I mean what more than looking at the cross of Christ do we see? God taking what seems to be retreat, what seems to be defeat and turning it into the ultimate victory in Christ. All right? I mean the darkest day of history, God himself incarnate slaughtered on a cross, hope lost, hope gone becomes the very place we look for salvation, the very place we look for the blood that washes us of our sins. It's at the cross that we see God transforming what appears to be the greatest defeat into the greatest victory ever accomplished in all of history. And so Paul here is seeing a little taste of that and this imprisonment becoming the actual method God used to accomplish the advance of his gospel. And so we too as Christians are called to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. As followers of Christ, we follow in his example of death that produces victory. Of imprisonment that produces advance by taking this, this this message of Christ to the nations. Now, church, all of us are called to bold proclamation, aren't we? I mean most of the brothers here in Rome are proclaiming Christ, and so also we are called to proclaim Christ wherever He's put us, whatever restrictions we find ourselves in, in that workplace where you're frustrated, you don't like the fact that you haven't advanced as you'd like, and yet God has you there with these people. For what reason? Well, one reason is to proclaim Christ. God's put you in the family situation with the brothers and sisters and, and the in-laws and all of that. Why? Well, one reason is to proclaim Christ. He wants to advance the gospel through frustration, through defeat, through things we don't like. He wants to use it to proclaim Christ, not, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of love. Love for Christ, love for, love for our neighbor, Wherever he's placed us, that's a place where God wants his gospel proclaimed. And and uniquely here in South Florida, guys. I mean, Rome was a place where the nations gathered. Miami is a place where the nations gather. And you have in your workplaces in your shopping centers and, and all the places where you live and work where you're restrained to, there are people there that need to hear about Christ. There are people here who need to hear about the proclamation of Jesus Christ who's come to save sinners. And he's put you there for that purpose. You might proclaim out of love. And then the limits where God has put you. There may also be some here this morning that God has or will call to to more radical advancement of the gospel. To to more dangerous advancement of the gospel. Some that God may call to missions work or to pastoral work. Or to work that requires significant sacrifice and risk to bring the gospel to places where it's unreached. And I pray that if that is you this morning, that God will give you the boldness and the faith to step forward. And do his work, as he's called. And that remember that looks can be deceiving. What appears to be defeat can often be advance. We also recognize that it's not just the big things in life that are about Christ, is it? It's the small things, too. All of life is about Christ. It's all About Christ. It's all for the proclamation of the gospel. And that that extends from yes, from being in prison for the gospel, it extends to being um, hated for the gospel, but it goes down to the small stuff, the plunging the toilets, the changing the diapers, being stuck on flights from Miami to Louisville with a guy with a lot of cologne on. All of that. That's all for Christ. (laughs) It's all for Christ. And and it's not always easy to see the connection, is it? I mean it's hard sometimes to see that connection. How does this Connect to that. I mean, I know it's down the path somewhere, but it's hard to see through the trees what God's doing here. And so Paul continues and gives us really a second vignette and a second reason to fix our eyes on Christ. Not only is it all about Christ, it's not about you. It's not about you. Take a look in verse 15 with me. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So here Paul is, is presenting these two groups of brothers, of Christians, two groups that are a subset What he mentioned in 14, that most of the brothers, remember those brothers who were emboldened to proclaim the gospel without fear? Well, guess what? Some of them are doing it out of envy and strife. Some of them are doing it to hurt Paul. Well, that's surprising. That's surprising too. All of that's surprising. Some of these brothers are actually proclaiming Christ. They're emboldened by Paul's imprisonment to hurt Paul by proclaiming Christ. It's What does this mean? What's going on here? Well, I think there are three aspects that we see here in the passage about who these, these um, preachers are that are brothers that are emboldened to preach Christ to hurt Paul. The first is it appears they have the right gospel. It appears that they actually are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. At least with their lips, they're preaching the correct gospel. We know this because elsewhere in this very letter, Paul eviscerates the Judaizers. He tears apart those that pervert the gospel, that, do, that preach something other than Christ crucified, alone, and so these brothers, it appears, because he, he doesn't tear them apart, he, he, he seems to think they have the right gospel. They're preaching the truth about Jesus Christ. The second thing we see is that they see the gospel as a means to consolidate power. So these brothers are preaching Christ as a means to, to consolidate power to themselves. And in verse 15, it talks about them preaching from rivalry. and 17, about selfish ambition. It's this idea that they're... They're like sharks that smell blood in the water and Paul's weakness attracts them so they can gobble up what he's got. They want to grow their own following. They want to promote their own leadership. They want them to be the ones in power with this gospel. The third thing we see is that they see Paul as an enemy. It seems that what they've got here is actually some personal aversion to Paul. This word envy, that they're preaching from envy, the, the, the thrust of that word is actually not to get something for themselves. They're happy to take from Paul as long as it hurts him. They just want to get it away from him. And we see again, they say, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They want to hurt Paul with the gospel. Guys, these attacks, these, these Christians who are preaching, it's, it's personal. It's not just business. This is personal. They've got something against Paul. And notice here, they're preaching the gospel. This is not an attack on Paul because Paul's preaching the gospel. There's something personal going on here that's not about Jesus necessarily. It's not like they said, oh, Paul's preaching the gospel, let's go after him. No, they want to preach the gospel too, but they want to hurt Paul in the process. I think Paul's response here is instructive for us in the 99% of our lives as American Christians that aren't direct attacks because we believe in Christ. There's a lot of our lives that we go about encountering things that that aren't a result of, well, I'm being attacked because I love Jesus. Well, not necessarily. Maybe... Well, I'm not going to go there. There are other reasons why, why we're being attacked, right? There are other reasons that we're facing obstacles. It's hard to sometimes see that connection. But Paul's response with these Christian opponents is still to set his eyes on the proclamation of Christ. He still sets his eyes on Jesus. And he says, it's not about me. It's not about me. Verse 17, he says, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. then 18, what then? What then? Literally, who cares? He's saying, who cares? They want to hurt me? Who cares? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That's all that matters. And in that, I rejoice. If you proclaim Jesus, whatever. You can hurt me. I'm playing a different game. I'm running for Jesus. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is, this is remarkable, guys. His perspective as these guys come after him, come after him with Jesus, even though he loves Jesus too, they're attacking him and he says, I don't care, it's about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ proclaimed. Paul is fixing his eyes. He's looking not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, beyond the path to Christ proclaimed, even when he doesn't see the connection. His ambition is that Jesus be known in every circumstance. In the dirty diapers, in the conflict, in the loss, in the frustration, in all of it. Christ is proclaimed in all of it. It's about Jesus, and it's not about me. It's not about me. Guys, everything inside of me, all of me wants to fight this. <laughs> and Maybe you feel the same way. I, I don't like this. I want to find a way to connect my circumstances to me, because I'm the most important thing in my life. Right, it's all about me, but no, Paul says, No, it's not about you, it's not about you. And look, there, there are ways that are appropriate to connect what God's doing back to ourselves. There are ways, I mean, we see often in scripture, Romans suffering, right, produces perseverance, perseverance produces character. But what does character produce? Hope, hope in who Christ Jesus, the point of self development, right? Often. Often we have suffering produces self-development. gives us character. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? But the point of that strength is what? It's Christ. It's all about him. It's that we might proclaim Christ. We might show Christ. We might live Christ. It's all about him. The end of all self-development is Christ proclaimed. Character produces hope. Hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, the goal here... That so we proclaim Christ with all of our lives. And as we do it, we might learn to rejoice as Paul rejoices in the midst of suffering. Notice his response Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. In that, I rejoice. As we, as we learn to set our eyes through the trees, as we learn to set our eyes down the path and see Christ proclaimed in all of Scripture and all of our lives, it, it gives us a freedom. To rejoice. It's not about us. We can rejoice in everything because our ambition has become the ambition of God. Our ambition has become the same ambition Christ has, that his name would go forth, that his glory would go out throughout all the earth. It's the eternal hope that the proclamation of Christ is the goal of all creation. It's, the, it's his breath in our lungs, right? It's his breath in our lungs. So we, we proclaim his name With everything. With everything. Look, that, that rejoicing, it's not intended to dismiss the seriousness or the pain or the sorrow or the sadness that comes along with our difficult circumstances. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to, for things to hurt. I mean, it hurts Paul that these people are going after him. It, it hurts him. He acknowledges it. He doesn't dismiss it. It, it. It's still in his peripheral. He sees it there. And we still got to go through it. We still got to go around it and over it but we see something beyond it. And that's why we as Christians can grieve, not like those who have no hope. We still grieve, but we grieve with a hope that's beyond our circumstances. We can suffer and experience pain and sorrow and loss and and frustration with a hope because Christ is proclaimed, because Christ is coming again, because we have one who has purchased us by his blood and is coming once again to bring us back and to raise from the dead those who are already in the grave and those who aren't yet. And that's our hope, church, that allows us to rejoice in the midst of all circumstances. I also acknowledge this morning that there may be those here with us that don't know this Christ. Look, if you're here this morning and you're still living as if this is all about you, as if all of this, all of your life, all of your circumstances, all of your suffering, all of your joy, all of your pleasure, it's all for you, you're on the wrong path. And if you look down that path, at the end of that path is not joy and delight. At the end of that path is destruction. At the end of that path is death eternal, is is hell, is the wrath of God because God is not satisfied that you spend your life on you. He made you for his glory, and he is not satisfied that you spend your life living as if it wasn't. At the end of that path is death. But there is hope. There is hope because Christ proclaimed is for you. Christ proclaimed is for you. His blood shed on the cross makes a way for you to get off that path, to stop living for yourself and to live for Christ, to live for the proclamation of his gospel, to recognize it's not about you and it's all about him. And my prayer this morning, my plead with you this morning is to turn, to turn away from living for yourself and to turn to Christ, receive his life and live for his hope, the hope that only he can give that you might rejoice in all circumstances. You might have this life of joy and delight, not because life is easy, it's hard as a Christian, but because we have a hope that's beyond this life. You might live with him forever, and that as he returns, he would rescue you from the wrath that you deserve. And so as we close this morning, I just want to recognize once again, seeing this hope, it's not easy. Actually, more than that, it's not only not easy, it's impossible. It's really impossible, friends, to live a life like this, to live the way Paul is as, as humans in our flesh, to live this way all the time and have a perspective that's beyond this life. That is, that is supernatural living. That is living that can only be done by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. And none of us do this perfectly. We don't, but, but we have the Spirit within us. And our hope this morning is that this is not just an idea or a concept, um, that this hope of Christ is not just something we we consider or think about, it's it's a person. It's a living, breathing, living person, Jesus Christ himself, who is with us on that path, who when we fall and our face goes in the dirt and we're picking sticks out of our helmet, Christ is with us. He's there to lift us up when we fail. His blood has covered our mistakes and our failures when we fail to see. And even this morning, maybe you, your head is in the rocks because you've, you've gone face first into your circumstances and forgotten to look for Christ. He's there with you now, today. He understands and he lifts us up. He he forgives us of our iniquity. He forgives us of our failures. And he, he sets us back on the path and gives us strength for our legs to keep fighting, to keep pedaling, to keep going, to keep looking to him who is our living Savior, our living hope. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him, and he's with us on the trail. He's with us on the path, and he's with us in the struggle. And our hope is that one day he himself, the living, breathing Jesus, will return in the air, and we will see him. And When we see him, we'll be like him. And when we do, every single knee will bow to Christ and every mouth will proclaim. And they will set their eyes on Christ, like it or not, and they will see him return. And those who are his will be like him and will be raised with him. We'll have life eternal proclaiming Christ for eternity. And that's our hope. It's not over. It's not over today. It's not over tomorrow. Unless Christ returns, your, your life has a, a future beyond your circumstances. And so we fix our eyes this morning on Christ proclaimed because it's not about us, and it's all about Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we, we worship you this morning. We proclaim you this morning with our lives, with our mouths, with our hearts, with our bodies, because we recognize it's not about us. It is all about you. It is all about you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we don't serve an image of a God. We don't serve an idea of a God. We serve a living, breathing God with hands and feet that have holes in them. A God who is near to us. A God who, who came incarnate to be with us, who knows what it's like to live in the struggle, who knows what it's like to be in the fight, to be on the trail. you God who knows and understands and is with us. Lord, you see and know the purposes behind every rock, behind every rut, behind every, every turn and twist in our lives. Lord, you know what's behind it, even when we don't. And I confess, Lord, I, I don't set my eyes on you as I should. We don't set our eyes on you as we ought throughout our lives and throughout our circumstances. But this morning, Father, we give you thanks that your blood covers all our shortcomings. That your blood has purchased for us, eternal life. And, and you, have, you have bought for us freedom from the judgment that we deserve. And you bore it on your body that we might worship you, that we might proclaim you in all of our circumstances. So Lord, I ask this morning that you would help us to see you proclaimed. You would help us to see you proclaimed even when we don't see. You would help us to see that it's all about you even when it feels like it's all about us. Lord, help us to see you this morning. Help us to know you and worship you this morning with everything in us, with everything on us. And this week, as we go out to our jobs and our workplaces, as we go to class, as we go home and, and, and deal with messy kids, Lord, that you would help us to see you proclaimed, to look to you proclaimed in all of it. Give us your hope this morning that we might rejoice in our circumstances. Because we see that you're the end of all of it. But you Do this, Lord. Do this, Lord, because of the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org and be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.